0: The reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 3, reading verses 1 to 8, I invite your reverent attention to the public reading of God's word, and may we all hear the word in faith. So from Romans chapter 3. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I invite you to join me again for a time of prayer. Again, Father, we come before you in prayer and praise and adoration with thanksgiving uh, for all of your fatherly care and your loving kindness to us, for your mercies new each day. Uh, we worship the Son, uh, the one who reigns in heaven, uh, the one who came down for us and for our salvation, and we also uh, worship and praise you for the gift of the Spirit and all that the indwelling uh, uh, the spirit means for us in the way of life and godliness uh, we pray this morning for the needs of others <clears throat> some may come here uh, with all sorts of distress in the things of life perplexity discouragement uh, intervene on their behalfs as we walk through all times that uh, seem to be just so perplexing uh, give us peace a peace that passes understanding uh, intervene in ways that are wise and good and bring all things to a good conclusion. Uh, for such is your way for your people, working all things for good for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. We do pray for um, <clears throat> the church in, Ag- in Afghanistan. We, we would pray for their safety, their welfare, that you would protect them from those who would seek their lives. Uh, but if called upon to give uh, uh, the full measure of devotion uh, in martyrdom, uh, give them dying grace in the dying hour, uh, and that uh, they would be vindicated in the age to come. And though we do not face at this point such physical persecution, may we have uh, the conviction of faith that such would require To even lay down our lives for the savior the one who laid down his life for us and loved us to the end so father now we've come to hear the word as your word is firmly fixed forever in the heavens bless your word to us this morning give grace and skill to fill as he holds forth from this passage in romans may your word indeed be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and may it give us wisdom and skill for living in such a way that is pleasing to You and glorifying of Your ways. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers.
1: It is a um, fairly settled practice in American history that when we do not like a judge's judicial systems, uh, we uh, attack the judge personally. That's really what the Jews in Paul's day are going to do. Um, uh, they don't like to be told that they're without excuse uh, because they think they have every exemption, and so they're going to attack uh, the, the judge personally. Of course, the text this morning will remind us that will not work, uh, and neither will it end well. Um, Happens sometimes with uh, professing Christians. Uh, They don't like the way their life works out. And so they think they can take it out on God by defecting from the faith. But again, uh, like the Jews, it will not work out for them well. God is a righteous judge. Everything that he does is righteous. Uh, And he reminds us of that telling fact in this text. Uh, Because God is faithful and righteous, Uh, Therefore, our condemnation is just. Uh, The larger context is, again, the righteousness of God in condemning all. Uh, Paul is dealing with his uh, countrymen and stripping them of every pretense. Uh, Certainly, the pretense that condemnation does not apply to them. It applies to all, to everyone. Uh, None escapes. Uh, None uh, are... Uh, issued mulligans, all are condemned. Uh, And this uh, refrain will continue through the rest of this chapter, and at some point we will immediately come to understand that our only hope is the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to the saints. Uh, They felt that they had certain privileges uh, which exempted them, But every privilege that they boasted of really furthers their judgment. For to whom much is given, much is expected. And if you forsake uh, what the privilege points to, then you fall under greater condemnation. Uh, And so everyone, everyone faces uh, the judge, and there are no exemptions except those that are in his son. Uh, in verses uh, one to four, uh, Paul establishes that uh, God is faithful in judging uh, everyone. Uh, he discards, as I've suggested, the exemptions of the Mosaic covenant. If you think about it, the the old covenant uh, includes God as judge, and you break the law, uh, then you go before the judge. Everything about the Old Covenant pressed to that end. In fact, I would contend that the reason uh, for the decisiveness and the peril explained in the Old Covenant was to chase everyone to Christ. Uh, In the Old Covenant, it's what the sacrificial animals stood for and what did they stand for? Christ. It was to chase them to the Savior. Uh, But Nonetheless, God is the judge. And the principle, of course, is justice. God cannot forsake the fact that He is a God of total, unremitting, unrelenting justice. Perfect justice. And He must withhold who He is. Namely, perfect justice. By implication, let me remind you that our hope at Grace Bible Church is... That the justice of God that we deserved, and we deserved every bit of it, fell upon his son as our vicarious substitute. Uh, As the hymns that we so beautifully sang ring true, uh, what we deserved fell upon him, even though he was totally undeserving. He paid the penalty for us, but justice was upheld by the perfect sacrifice of God's only begotten Son. It's also a reminder by application that at justification, human acts, human contributions, human symbols do not save. At the point of justification, works are excluded, totally excluded. But it's a reminder that by and large, most churches professed that we are saved by faith and works. Just simply settled confessional statements of most churches. How are we saved? Faith and works. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. Again, at the point of justification, works, human works do not count. Because God only takes perfection. And there is only perfection in the works of His Son. Uh, And that's why all boasting is totally uh, disregarded. We can only boast in Jesus Christ. It's also, I think, important to remember by way of application that uh, hybrids, of course, always exist in the American church scene. People are always attempting to add something to Christ, supplementing the purity and the majesty of his work upon the cross alone. Uh, For For example... In the Roman Catholic Church, sacramentalism, uh, that God dispenses the sacraments of grace through the church. You deal with the church. Church is very important, but the church does not and cannot save. Only Christ can save. And only God, the perfect God, can dispense the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Human priests cannot dispense grace. Because they too are sinners. Eastern Orthodoxy, Iconostasis. Uh, We can see God in uh, the icons. Uh, I reminded you last Sunday that there is a wall that separates the the people from the temple. That's a perfect symbol of Iconostasis. And as we look at the murals on that wall, we can see heaven. My friend, you cannot see heaven in anything that man can do. Because man corrupts everything. We need something better than a human wall constructed by men uh, who as well are sinners. Uh, We need Christ. And we need Christ alone. I would remind you that uh, uh, the Aaronic priesthood ended with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, priests today uh, cannot stand in the line of Aaron because Christ ended their priesthood because, again, human priests cannot save. Human priests are temporal and they're also fallen. We have a priest who is eternal and who is sinless perfection and we should embrace him and him alone. Uh, Let's turn to some texts in the book of Hebrews Uh, that document this. A reminder begins very early, but I'll take uh, one of many early texts. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest of our confession. We do not read of mention of any other priests but our High Priest. Uh, who, by the way, is not in the line of Aaron. He's in the line of Melchizedek. And there is only one priest in the line of Melchizedek, and that's Christ our Savior. All other human priests are excluded. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7 uh, and verse 11. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the or- order of Aaron? But we have the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 8, verse 5. Speaking of the Levitical priesthood who serve as copies and shadows. Of heavenly things. The coming of Christ, the shadows are done away with. Finally, chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come, and not the form of the things, can never, by the same sacrifice year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. If the Aaronic priesthood has been done away with because they cannot make perfect, there is only one priest that can. Only one. To whom we give our attention and our consideration this morning. Notice verse 10. By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12. But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, Set down at the right hand of God the Father because He finished the work of our salvation. And we repair to no other priesthood but Him who stands in the order of Melchizedek, namely the high priest of sinless perfection, our Savior Jesus Christ. And so God exempts no one, everyone will face the judge except those who are in. His son, our Savior. I'll give you another illustration that is quite staggering. I, uh, most of you all know Tim Hope. Tim was uh, telling me a story about uh, an American pastor who went to preach in uh, the chapel service at uh, African Bible University. Uh, and uh, he was making a comment about um, God the judge, and that, of course, human judges are an expression of the eternal judge and they are to judge with rectitude according to the law uh, and that no one is, can escape uh, that uh, process and procedure. All the students begin to giggle. So Tim asked him, what, what are you guys laughing about? I mean, that's really kind of true, isn't it? No, in Uganda, uh, you escape uh, the judgment of the human judge by simply bribing him. But you cannot bribe the eternal judge. He doesn't take things from our hands uh, to set aside his justice. All of our symbols do not bribe him. They count for nothing. It's faith alone. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we have faith in Christ alone. It's a wonderful reminder uh, that all of our good works and our good actions the point of justification count for absolutely nothing. Only the work of Christ will do. And apart from that work, we will face God the eternal, all-knowing, perfect judge and eternal condemnation. He is judge all the time. And the only exemption is in His Son. Uh, This uh, reality uh, also pierces the veil of American Christian liberalism who affirmed that, yes, there was a judge in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, there's only, there's only a God of love. No, God never sets aside his justice. He is judge all the time, every time, and all will face him. And only those in his son have any exemption whatsoever. In fact, they have every exemption because of what his son accomplished. Uh, Paul raises uh, an imaginary question in verse 3. If some proved unfaithful or disloyal, does their unbelief invalidate or nullify the faithfulness of God as judge? Of course, the unfaithfulness and failures of men do not invalidate God as judge. Our disloyalty is not his disloyalty. Uh, So Paul denies their charge of the eternal judge. He affirms that God is true and that the character of God is not negated by human failure. Irrespective of human action or inaction, God will faithfully judge. That's why all are condemned. It's a reminder that we cannot attribute unfaithfulness to God based on our unfaithfulness. Paul then quotes uh, from Psalm 51 uh, from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, based upon David's confession of faith and his conviction by Nathan. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 9 to 14. Nathan says to David, and David is a son, a true son of God. Uh, The entire text will turn upon an argument from lesser to greater. If uh, God severely disciplines His privileged sons, what will He do to those who reject the only begotten Son of God? Deal with them, of course, course, in eternal harshness. So Nathan uh, says to David, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in His sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him. So what kind of judgment do you think is going to come upon David? He abused the sword, so he is going to get the sword. Verse 10, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So again, if harshness falls upon David, how much more severe will it be on those who reject the eternal Son of God? Verse 11, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household, and I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. Verse 13, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you this day shall surely die. Again, the lesser privileged son is going to be dealt with harshly in discipline. And so how much more? Those who reject the true son. The use of the Old Testament in Romans establishes the authoritative reality that God will deal in perfect righteousness with everyone, and he will be faithful to himself. Uh, By the way, this is also true in regard, if you would like to turn to uh, 2 Timothy uh, 2, verse 11. A very favorite symbol that people use in America today is decisional regeneration. I made a decision for Christ and therefore I'm safe forever. And then they fall away from the church and deny Christ, thinking that their decision will be their good symbol to get them into heaven. Notice what Paul says of such in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, and verses 11-13. to 13. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In other words, he will remain faithful to his own rectitude and deny all who have either in public confession or by a tragic lifestyle have denied the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. You reject the Son, you get the judge. There is only one exemption, and that is to be in the Savior and to live for Him, and if need be, to die for Him and to be faithful to the cross. So God will prevail and defeat all their excuses and reject all the symbols that men bring before Him. And so God is... God is a judge. He's also a faithful judge. And so in verses 5 to 8, Paul establishes that God is righteous in judging. He is complete rectitude to be true to himself. He can do no other because he is God. Paul repairs again to another excuse presenting uh, the human logic of God's unfairness in judging because it establishes his righteousness. Uh, Essentially, the Jews were saying, well, God, you have a self-interest in judging because it establishes your rectitude. Paul's going to demolish that excuse. He issues another emphatic negation that God will use the same standard to judge everyone. No one will escape except those who are in Christ. And again, I remind you that the standard is not human or societal fairness or acceptance. It is the very righteousness of God in whom there is no shadow or turning. There is only perfection. And that's why we have a perfect Savior whom we hide in and we reject all our presumption and exemptions. Everybody, Jew and Greek, or Jew and Gentile, faces the same standard. And it is irrespective of humanity, society, good works, and especially of anyone claiming covenant privilege. Another derivative of this argument is in verse 7. If my disloyalty establishes his glory, I deserve a break. And if I advance his glory, why should we not sin all the more? Paul's going to demolish that human logic and uh, really conclude uh, with the finality of God as a faithful judge in saying that all are condemned. The implicit answer, of course, is that sin does not lead to glory. It leads to condemnation. And from a human perspective, evil does not bring good. And so... Paul dismisses uh, their objections. Uh, notice how it all ends. Their condemnation is just. Uh, and so we say, well, that's, that's true of the Jew. No, it's true of everyone. Everyone outside of Christ will face the eternal judge. And their condemnation would be just. Uh, and it's much worse than David. It's eternal rejection throughout all time without any prospect whatsoever of reversing the judgment. It's beautiful in our country that we have many exemptions. Uh, Things like bankruptcy law gives a person a new start. Sometimes uh, criminals are pardoned. They're, They're given a new start those are wonderful things, wonderful aspects, I think, of American jurisprudence. People can start over. How beautiful is that? Once a soul enters eternity, there is no restart. Their condemnation will last forever. It is the reminder, is it not, that God is the eternal judge, and there is only one place of exemption, and that is in His Son. Uh, The standard is the absolute perfections of holy God. When Christ comes, a holy, eternal God, the Son, takes upon himself humanity absent human nature. He is, of course, uh, one person with two nature, but absent the sin nature. And that's why he was born uh, through Mary. So again, it comes to us as a perfect God to render and to accept the judgment which we deserved. Uh, the character of God the Father is also the character of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, these uh, are those who affect our eternal uh, salvation in the doctrine of justification. So the answer to divine justice. Uh, is, of course, the attribute of love. Uh, And Christ the Son comes as a just God, also as a loving God. And God the Father, who is a just God, provides through love, God the Son. And Christ took the liability of our judgment upon himself. And so the answer to the judge is new covenant privileges, which are only found in Jesus Christ. Because Adam and Israel failed, Christ comes as the high priest of heaven to fulfill where they fail. And he is the sole source of our covenant privilege of exemption. Uh, Fairly soon in the book of Romans, we'll begin to study the doctrine of justification. The antonym to the doctrine of justification is condemnation. Christ alone can justify us. Christ alone is the solution to condemnation. So the only escape is in God the Son. This is is our priest. Not after the priesthood of Aaron, but of Melchizedek. Because the standard is perfect righteousness, he fulfilled where all of us failed. And the basis of our covenant privilege is now his righteousness imputed to our account. Namely, the doctrine of justification. Which, of course, is based upon the uh, great solas of our faith. Faith alone. Christ alone. Grace alone. It's also based in the eternal covenant of redemption. That eternity passed. God the Father, set upon God the Son to take upon Himself human nature and all of our failures, every one of them, all of them, and to satisfy in one sacrifice upon the cross the liability of that failure. The one sacrifice for all time. I, I, love, I love those words, Book of Hebrews. Begins, the book begins that way. Having offered sacrifice and purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. All of our condemnation reversed in the doctrine of justification. Beauty of the grace of God. He became our satisfaction and our surety by his active obedience. He fulfilled the entirety of the law so that we could be saved. And that's the sole meritorious cause of our salvation. I highlight the word soul. At that point, you have to reject all your works. When it comes to the point of justification, only His work counts. He is the sole and entire meritorious cause enabling us to stand before a righteous, eternal God the Father and escape condemnation. His merits, not ours. We have none. He alone is the treasury of the merits of an eternal God. Because of his infinite perfections and dignity, he is able to stand for us as our guarantor and get us into heaven. and granting us access to God by paying the penalty for our imperfections and perfidy and disloyalty. A great Savior. Let's remind ourselves in a measure of this, uh, turning again uh, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. and verse 16. Because we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, and because he was tempted in all things, yet without sin, notice notice our privilege. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Notice what's not there, a human priesthood, a wall separating. The laity from the temple. It's been torn down. We have direct access because of Jesus Christ. Christ alone, by the way. Direct access to the throne of grace. That was unheard of in the Old Testament. It's sad to say in our day, not unheard of. Human priests uh, seemingly get in the way, but our high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, gives us access. To the throne of grace and the glories of God the Father, where He dispenses mercy for our failures and grace to help in every hour of need. What a Savior is that? A Savior alone, Christ. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Context is that we have fled to Christ for refuge and laid hold of the hope that is in him. What does that do for us? This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. All that that means is, of course, manifold greatness of our privilege. That even as we continue as Christians, justified by grace through faith in Christ alone, we are still fallen sinners. Yet we have an anchor that holds within the eternal veil where God the Father is. And that anchor will always hold because of our high priest and the perfections that he gave us in the complete meritorious work that he did for us upon the cross. Why would you go anywhere else than that anchor the anchor of the soul, nowhere else to go. But if you're a Christian, that anchor will hold you. throughout all of the vagaries and changes in life. It will never break. It will always hold. And when God the judge comes for his people... Uh, that anchor will hold us instead, in good stead as we go before God the Judge. It will not even fail us then because we're in Christ. We all stand before the Judge, but we stand before God the Judge with an eternal anchor that will hold us throughout all time as our guarantor into eternity and the only means to apprehend the benefits of the perfections of Christ is by faith by faith alone not faith and works reject the hybrid it's faith alone at the point of justification that since antecedent and subsequent works are excluded from justification that we apprehend what he did convinced of the necessity of what he did and rely solely and entirely upon the only anchor that can hold within the veil. That's our hope. It's my hope. I trust it's your hope. Uh, since I know most of you, I know that it is. And what a great hope it is. And we come to celebrate that hope this morning in the sacrament of the Lord's table. The uh, Lord's table uh, is built historically upon the background of the passover meal which signified israel's redemption from egypt and pharaoh the name itself uh, commemorated the great event in which uh, the children of israel took uh, a lamb without spot or blemish sacrificed it took its blood and put it on the doorpost of their homes And when the angel of death passed over the household marked by the blood of the lamb, it did just that. It passed over. But every household that did not have the blood of the lamb uh, faced judgment. And every firstborn son died. Every firstborn animal died. Because the judgment came from a just judge. But all who were in the blood of Christ escaped. And so we come to celebrate that event. Uh, And when Christ supplants the old with the new, we are reminded of our redemption uh, from this land of spiritual slavery and the tyranny of the devil who seeks to destroy us by Christ's blood, our Passover lamb. We are forever saved against that tyranny and against eternal condemnation. And this is our covenantal meal to celebrate who our Savior is. I do remind you that in and of itself there is nothing in the sign of the bread and the wine. It's that faith apprehends the totality of the benefits of the new covenant which accrue to us by the death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. It's also important to recognize that the Apostle Paul warns us uh, from uh, partaking of the sacrament. Uh, in an improper manner by improperly judging the body. Uh, The statute comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Some in the church in Corinth were getting drunk on the sacramental wine. Uh, Some were hogging all the bread so the poor were going hungry. And uh, so the judgment of God in discipline comes to visit the church. Paul corrects them. When you come before the Lord's table in his sacrament, Uh, you come recognizing that you have confessed your sin and that you are forgiven in Christ and in Christ alone. And that you cannot uh, perpetually and continue to engage in known sin for which you are unrepentant. For again, that brings the discipline of God, God who is judge. So it's a reminder of uh, one of the reasons that we uh, confess our sin. Uh, I happen to believe that we do not confess for forgiveness. We confess because we are forgiven, because Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. But it is a reminder that if you have come this morning and you are engaging uh, in some secret sin that which no one else is aware of except you and God, you should confess and not, and not of course, partake without confession because as such is to partake of the sacrament improperly. Uh, it's also, of course, a reminder that the sacrament of uh, the Lord's table is uh, not for those uh, who do not know Jesus Christ as their only guarantor of eternal life. Uh, again, uh, no one's going to be noticing if you simply pass the elements by, uh, because we are all consumed with the uh, joyfulness of uh, thanking God for the privilege of being the sons of God through Jesus Christ, our only Savior. A biblical warrant for this, of which there are countless, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. So this service is open to all who confess Christ. Uh, this is not the a table of Grace Bible Church. It's a table for all who know the Savior and have been baptized and who are not under church discipline and again who are not living in known sin for which they are unrepentant. The Belgic Confession, Article 35, reads, for the support of the spiritual and heavenly life which believers have. He has sent them a living bread which came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and sustains the spiritual life of the believers when he is eaten by them that is spiritually appropriated and received by faith. By faith, we apprehend the blessings of the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, As the bread is broken and served to you, I invite you to, if need be, engage the Lord in private confession. Thanking God the living bread that came down from heaven. And at some point, celebrate the grace of God that has been given to you, that Christ came to die for you and to rescue you, and that by his blood, the angel of death will pass you by. Please hold the bread until which time all are served so that we might manifest the unity of our church and partake together. Uh, let's uh, prepare our hearts uh, to receive uh, that which represents the living bread, uh, Christ our Savior. Lord, we are grateful for our Savior. He is our only Savior. Uh, he alone could satisfy the justice and the righteousness of an eternal God. And therefore, every hope is in Him. And we're thankful that it is a sure and certain hope But it is also a hope that we need to be reminded of, and this is that time, to remember, to purify our hope, and to apprehend by faith the benefits of the great spiritual blessings that accrue to us. Every spiritual blessing that accrues to us because Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for the gift of the Son, And for the occasion to fellowship with him, to be strengthened by his every provision. And fit us out, Lord, with every provision to live for thy glory. uh, And to proclaim his righteousness to a lost world. It's in his name that we ask these things through our only Redeemer, who is Christ our Savior. Amen. Our Lord Jesus uh, also uh, shed his blood. And so we come to the cup. Uh, Having shed his blood, uh, visible reminder that all of our sins uh, were paid for. That our only hope of forgiveness is in him. It's a great privilege. I think, perhaps to me personally, the greatest privilege of all time is to stand before a righteous God, guilty, but forgiven. And the cup, of course, is a cup of celebration, that we celebrate all the benefits of the new covenant, which include forgiveness, but so many more. As, I, as we pass the service, I remind you that in the center uh, there is wine, the periphery there is grape juice, uh, that each may partake in the freedom of their own traditions and practice. Uh, nonetheless please hold the cup and what, till which time we are all served uh, I would encourage you in private prayer to continue to give thanks for these visible symbols of the greatness of our salvation through Christ our Lord. Thy love for thy people in giving to us a beloved Savior and we're thankful that we can acknowledge that he drank the cup of judgment, that we might escape the wrath of God that we so richly deserved, and for this cup of the new covenant in celebration of our new life and hope in him. Uh, We're thankful, Lord, that feeding upon the body of Christ and drinking his blood, we can be nourished and strengthened and by faith uh, live for thy kingdom. Bless us, Lord, individually and corporately that we might shine as lights in a dark world, And so testify that we belong body and soul to our only Redeemer, who is Christ our Lord. Amen.